Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Jason Com, as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, provide you some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures, episode 52, God's New World. My name is Pastor Tom Marsus, Senior Pastor at Zion Lutheran Church. I'm Vicar Jason Kamm. And I am Seminarian Aiden Moon. Well, we're glad to have everybody with us today. Uh, as some of you will remember, uh, 12 months ago, Vicar then Moon uh, started this trek through the scriptures with us, and we began looking at Genesis and our podcast and going forward. So as we're drawing to a close in our uh, podcast on trek through the scriptures and getting ready for our next journey, a life a living the faith, uh, we have both of them with us here today. And so, uh, Aiden, as you've gone back to school, last week you shared a little bit of the information of what it was like being back at school. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the uh, placement process or the questions that they ask you. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so it's an interesting process. Uh, it's obviously changed over the years. So there's some different features to it for different generations of pastors. Um, but there's there's obviously a couple different features. One is certification. So the that's the seminary's job, the faculty's job to say, this guy's good to go. He's done the work. He is he is capable at the things that we've trained him in. He's got his grasp of the the theology and those kind of things. So that happens throughout. Um, in the spring, the faculty will will have all of my classmates' names and my name, and will be uh, checked off. They'll go through and say, "Yep, he's good to go," and they'll vote and go through that process. So that's one part of it. Um, and then we can be. Then we can be placed. Uh, but as for the placement part, we've got some interviews. So we interviewed with the director of placement, and he asks us a lot of questions. We have a very thorough application with things like um, our kind of gifts and where we're best suited as far as church size. Um, we do things like prioritizing, and we kind of give percentages for this of, of preference, whether we'd like to be placed in a sole pastor situation or in a situation on team ministry where we have a senior pastor um, to be placed as an associate pastor. And so there's that kind of dynamic. Um, we're talking with things about like, what would we want our specializations to be if we were going into a, an associate pastor position, um, maybe family ministry or go into discipleship or outreach or those kind of things. Um and then there's things like, you know, community size, where you're comfortable, are you comfortable in a rural area or the city or those kind of things. And uh, for those of you who know my wife, Naomi, um, who was obviously very involved in our time there at Zion, um, she's part of those conversations too, um, for good reason, because her preferences matter quite a bit. <laughs> and uh, so she's going to be, she's right there in the heart of it. And, uh, and you know, since this is what everybody really, really misses us for, uh, Zeke is also doing quite well. Um, so he's he's around, and so he's he's, uh, believe it or not, standing up on things and pulling himself up and crawling around like a maniac. So, um, so growing pretty well. So uh, we're we're doing good, and there's a lot of good preparation that we're in the middle of. So it's an exciting time. Well, one of the things. Uh people need to understand when you go to the seminary, you've already got your undergrad diploma from college. Uh, so you have a BS or a BA, depending upon what you graduated with. Um, and when you graduate from the seminary, you get two diplomas. 
you get your academic diploma and also your theological diploma, which means you're eligible for a call. Those are two different diplomas. So you can graduate from the seminary and not be eligible for a call. Uh, so there, if you come into my office, you'll see that I have two different diplomas on the wall, uh, one of them my academic and one of my theological, uh, and then also uh, the others that are there as well, so ordination. But you do get two diplomas when you graduate. One of the things Aiden was talking about was that they have these papers and things throughout that they uh, do. When I was at the seminary, we had to sit uh, for an hour and a half in front of three professors, and they could ask you any questions they wanted. It was the scariest thing of my entire life. Uh, and uh, I was certainly glad when it was over. Uh, but the first professor hammered me for almost 30 minutes on baptism. Uh, I was throwing out everything I could possibly think of. And I'm thinking I have no much, uh, nothing else to say. And the professor said, okay, thank you. So he was done. I'm about ready to say, oh, thank goodness. And the next professor says, let's take that one step further. I'm saying, I don't have one <laughs> step to go. So you get out of having to do that. Well, with that thing. in mind, yeah, well, with that <laughs> in mind, let's move on to the real crux of why we're here, and that is finishing up Revelation, finishing up our trek through the Scripture. We're finishing up Revelation chapter 7 through 22, and uh, it's very important as we get into this now, we're getting into the nuts and bolts, so to speak, of Revelation, the visions and the like. One of the things that one of my professors at the seminary often reminded me of when I misspoke, merely because I was nervous at my theological interview, I might add. Uh, I kept referring it to it as the book of Revelations with the S on it. And he quickly reminded me later that it's the book of Revelation, where there are revelations in the book of Revelation. So there's no S on the book, uh, but there is revelations with the S inside the book. And so uh, one of those is in chapter seven. And uh, Vicar Kahn, why don't we talk a little bit about the vision of the 144,000? Sure. Now, we're not going to go through every single vision and every single chapter of Revelation because then we would be on here for five hours um, and maybe have gotten nowhere. But I thought it would be helpful if we just sort of take um, some of the some of the broader ones that apply to the overall message of Revelation. And the vision of the 144,000 in chapter 7 is definitely one of those. And so we understand this not to be a literal number, but symbolic, like most numbers in Revelation. So just because there's a number there, don't take it too seriously. There are people that will like, you know, weave that number into their very theology, um, and that causes problems, as we'll get into in just a minute. But this number is very special. It is a special number um, because it says that there are 12,000 members from the tribe of fill-in-the-blank of all 12 of the original Israel tribes. And so 12,000 times 12 happens to be 144,000. Um, and so what this really signifies is the full number of believers, the full number of Israel in all times and all places, both before and after Christ. So there are some people out there that would say that this 144,000 means, oh, only 144,000 people are going to stand before the throne of Christ and be saved. Um, and as we mentioned in the last episode, false living or false teaching does lead to false living. And here's an example of there are some church denominations out there that will teach that, well, are you a part of the 144,000? You better hope you are. And that causes some problems. Um, so don't don't take numbers in Revelation too literally. They're going to be symbolic, and so if you're not sure what it's trying to say, then definitely ask someone else, consult a resource or something. Um, 
And then right after this vision of 144,000, then John sees another vision of a multitude, in his own words, beyond numbering. So way, way, way more than he could possibly count. And they're all praising Jesus and washing their robes, sparkling white in his blood. Now, if you've ever done laundry, you never take white clothes and put it in red anything, right? Uh, Bad idea. But... The point here that John is trying to make is that Jesus' blood cleanses us purely, completely from all sin and all darkness and all death. And so these, this multitude beyond numbering, they're washing their robes, their clothes, just totally white, free from sin, free from splotches and stains, and they're putting on Christ's own righteousness that he's he's freely given them. Um, And then this chapter ends with this promise that he gives of God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, which is just that I think that's such a beautiful image of the God of the universe, God, the father, the creator, kind of stooping down and taking his thumb and wiping the tears off of our cheeks um, because they're real. Like life on earth is hard and we lose a lot and suffer plenty. But we know that there's a limit to that. There's a limit to the sin that we experience and the suffering that we undergo. And we see here that Christ has won the victory. And this is what it'll look like someday. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is a this is a text that you may have heard before connected to All Saints Day, which you can see why that would make some sense. It's a, it's a really good connection. And this is uh, one of the things that Revelation does and would have done for the original people that it was, it was written to and for us as well, is it kind of reorients our perspective of what's going on. And for us, we see all kinds of things. We see a church that's divided. We see a church that looks kind of uh, not always super pure. There's a lot of messy stuff going on inside it. We see death. We see uh, all these different things. And yet what what John shows is that there's this deeper reality, which is this multitude. Um, it shows us who we are. We're part of that completeness of, you know, the heirs of the tribes of Israel. We've been brought into that family. We've been joined to Christ. And then we're headed for this ultimate vision of praising God and uh, and being wiped clean. And so it kind of reorients us to um, see beyond what it might look like is going on around us. And for the the Christians at this time, it would have looked like persecution and chaos politically and all kinds of things like that. And uh, for us, yeah, it might be kind of similar. Well, these visions are rather interesting. As Vicar Kahn mentioned just a few minutes ago, I mean, there are so many visions that we would be on here. We could probably have several months of podcasts just on the book of Revelation Uh, But as we're doing our Trek weekly reading, we wanted to highlight a few of them. And chapter 12 and 13 is another one of those visions, the anti-Trinity, a dragon and two beasts. And uh, we want to hear a little bit more about that because it broadly summarizes Satan. It's a story that really uh, fills us in a little bit about Satan. And uh, uh, Aiden, would you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So I actually uh, discussed a little bit of this when I was talking about um, the Christmas story with some kids when I was working over at at the ranch, the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch, and we were uh, I was doing a little bit of a, a switcheroo on them and telling them an an interesting alternate Christmas story, one with the dragon in it, and they were all a little bit confused by that one. Um, but we see that. Just like John gave sort of a behind the scenes look at the beginning of his gospel, he sees a vision here of 
something new coming out from God's people. And so in a sense, this is actually the Christmas story and then the story of Jesus' whole life and ministry. So Jesus is born. He comes from the woman in the story, which would be God's people. So we see that Jesus comes from the people of Israel who gives birth and this dragon, Satan, it comes to devour the child, but then the child escapes. Um, this might start to sound familiar if you're thinking back to the Christmas story. And then there's war in heaven. So there's this whole battle going on. This dragon is cast down to earth. We tend to think of the Christmas story kind of, oh, Jesus making mild. There's, it's all very nice and calm and silent night, holy night, which from a, from a worldly perspective, there's some truth there, but we also see there's some, some kind of uncomfortable stories of violence associated with the Christmas story. So we see right from the get-go that Jesus is opposed by, by power and earthly authorities. But we also see um, even the, uh, the shepherds are in the fields and there's hosts of angels. And now this isn't, that doesn't mean just like a ton of angels. It means God's armies showed up singing. Um, so we see there's this, there's actually sort of a, a a spiritual battle going on the whole time. And John gives us a little bit of a vision into that, that Jesus, even though his ministry is, is characterized and his life is characterized by kind of being this lowly child born in Bethlehem, who is a, a wandering preacher who kind of uh, doesn't seem super flashy as it doesn't ride in on a war horse, but there's a spiritual war going on the whole time. Um, and that's what this, this is going on. And so what this does for the people who are living in this time is it makes them go, Oh, all of this chaos that we're experiencing, the persecution, um, this political battles between different people, um, the power of Rome, oh, that's part of something deeper. That's part of a spiritual battle. And so it kind of recenters us on God's story rather than the story that the world around us wants to tell. Uh, and so that, that's pretty cool. We get this interesting way of kind of reimagining our world. Um, there's one image of what Revelation really is for. It's to refurbish the Christian imagination. It gives us a different way to perceive the reality that we live in. And so, you know, as you're going into this this kind of time at the end of the year, you're thinking about the Christmas story. Maybe you can think about it from this perspective as as God invades the world in Jesus. And it's, it's an act of conquest against the evil spiritual powers that are at play. And that's just in chapter 12. Yeah, we also see kind of toward the very end of chapter 12 that the dragon is not quite out of the fight yet. He does sort of swear vengeance on the rest of humanity and spends the rest of his days making war with all of the church's offspring, with Israel's offspring. And that's the world that we live in today, um, where Satan still tries to get the leg up on us. Um, but we know that the victory is in Christ and that he actually has no power to harm us under his rule and authority, but that doesn't stop him from trying anyway. And so when we get into chapter 13, um, there are these two beasts that are talked about that they're, they're deeply symbolic. And I had to really consult some sources for this. Um, everything I'm about to say, like I did not just get by reading through it once and then using my amazing seminary training. That's not how it went. <laughs> I had to look a lot of stuff up um, for this one. So in chapter 13, the first beast that is talked about, um, this beast embodies this broad political and worldly authority, particularly Rome at the time. Um, Rome, you know, being the center of the stage for persecuting the church. And uh, there's a term that's used that will 
sound familiar to us all. The word Babylon comes up a couple times. So Babylon is sort of this code that John uses. We understand Babylon to be sort of the center of Old Testament opposition of God's people. Babylon caused them a lot of problems um, and took Judah into captivity. And so that's not exactly something that the people would have forgotten about. And so when John is talking about Babylon here in this vision as sort of a code for Rome um, in these other visions. So we don't um, we don't mean to read this literally as, oh, Babylon's still around and doing stuff, but it's actually, no, there's a different kind of Babylon, a greater Babylon that is still railing against the church today. So be on your toes uh, for this, this different Babylon. So that's what the first beast symbolizes. And there's another beast that comes in the picture. And this beast represents corruption within the church itself. So if we think of the first beast as kind of outside forces coming in um, as one means that Satan uses to try and attack the church, Satan also goes from within the church to try and spread out. And we see this crop up in false teachers and prophets and practices. So Satan knows how to harm the church from the outside in and the inside out. Um, But the point of sharing these visions and talking about these scary monsters is that we live in a world where Satan is attacking the church from multiple fronts and even with inside the church itself. And so even though, yes, we do have this victory in Christ, even though Jesus has won the battle of salvation for us, Satan does try to take everyone that's baptized down with him before he's ultimately defeated forever. Because he knows he's on a time limit. He knows that he's ultimately going to be stamped out for good, and he's no longer going to be able to do anything because he'll be defeated forever. Um, But again, that doesn't stop him from trying in this world. He still has an evil power about him. Um, And as soon as we're baptized, you know, kind of think of a target being painted on our backs. Now we're set in Satan's sights. And that's scary. But what's comforting is that we have the God of the universe on our side. Like, what can anyone do to us um, with a God like our God? So it's, it's essentially saying, you know, stick with it, stay faithful. That's what's going on. And there's also sort of a, a, a chance to second guess maybe if you have some if you've if you've bought into the systems in the world a little too much and maybe you're uh maybe because christians would have had the same temptation to swear allegiance to caesar and rome that anybody else would have and so for those for them it's it's saying hey that's actually dangerous for you because you're you're uh you need to remain loyal to jesus because he's ultimately king and anytime there's an allegiance that that is going to make you do things that are against what what Christ would have you do. That's a that's a dangerous thing, and so this re, reorients that that might seem from an, an outside perspective relatively harmless. It says no, that actually can can do some damage. That's actually the work of these evil powers, these monsters. Well, there's a lot there, and and so we are jumping uh, to the back. So from chapter 13, we're jumping back to chapters 21 and 22, and it's rather interesting. Think about it for a minute. Uh, in January, we started this trip on January 1. We started reading Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, and now we find ourselves at the last two chapters of the book. So we've gone from the very beginning Uh, of Genesis in the Bible and the Old Testament, now back to the very last two. And so what's very interesting as we get to that, we see when Jesus returns and resurrects us, he will make a new heaven and a new earth for us to live in forever. And think about it. 
at the very beginning. What does Genesis 1 verse 1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now we jump back to the very last and the ending of the book, and we see a new heaven and a new earth. And so it's interesting. You see this full cycle going through these thousand years and all the uh, revelation that God has given throughout all his books, the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists. And now we're making a full circle back, a new heaven and a new earth forever. And so it's interesting, the alpha and the omega, we could say the A to the Z, right? I mean, that's the first letter of the alphabet to the last. And it really highlights this eternal circle that we see uh, as we talk about that. And so it's rather interesting uh, uh, as you make this journey to think, wow, I read through the entire scriptures and I've gotten to this last part. And yet uh, it's, it's interesting to see how God has a plan and he circles back to it and brings us back to it. It's pretty amazing. I thinking about the whole picture that we've, we've been able to go through the scriptures and this is really the point. Um, this is the point of going through the scriptures in this way. And it's the point of revelation, but it's the point of our whole project this year is to reorient ourselves into our story because we do have a different story than the most of the world around us. We have something that orients us differently, um, that tells us who we are and where we're headed. And this is a pretty good place to kind of to end our year because it's aiming our attention where it's supposed to be. Uh, it's reorienting us, not just to our own lives, not just to the stuff going on here, not just to our own individual uh, relationship with Jesus even, but to God's relationship with his whole creation. Uh, that's the story. The story is his story. Um, and that's pretty amazing to uh, come to the end and see this beautiful imagery in, in chapters 21 and 22. Uh, chapter 21 of Revelation is one of my favorite books or fa favorite chapters of the whole Bible, to be to be honest. Um, there's, there's a couple of them, but this is one of my favorites because there's just so much um, beautiful, hopeful imagery for us in the middle of our own dark world that we see where this is all headed. And also within these last few chapters of Revelation, we see that Jesus makes this beautiful promise three times. And we see that in, throughout the Gospels, when Jesus says something more than once, it's probably pretty important. So he talked about his death and resurrection more than once. He forgave Peter more than once. And so he kind of gives these three promises that he's coming soon kind of those, those same words, I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. Uh, we don't know how soon is soon. Could be tomorrow, could be another thousand years. We don't know. But this is what Jesus has promised us. And we live in hope of this promise that when he comes back, everything that's ever been wrong with the world is going to be made right because a new world will be made and God will do what he does best and create more. And it'll be this world without sin, which is so impossible for us to imagine because we just are so buried in sin that we can't even realize it and see how, how bad it really is. But just this perfect world that we'll be living in forever, that's, that's the cliffhanger that the Bible ends on, is that this is for you and for all um, that Christ came to save, and it's coming soon. So yeah, as, as Aiden mentioned, hold on, hang in there, because um, it's going to happen. This is our bright future. Well, at the very beginning, uh, 
Aiden was talking about, the various things that uh, they had to complete and the meetings they had to have and the papers they needed to be right to get out. But when they go on Vicarage, one of the curriculums that they have to do is a outreach project. And so as Aiden and I were discussing uh, his uh, outreach project, I, I was telling him, you know, I have this vision. I'd really like to, you know, read through the Bible in a year and get everybody all involved with it. And Aiden and I talked back and forth and uh, came up with this whole idea of the trek through the scriptures. Uh, and uh, we talked about, oh, we'll just integrate it into Bible study and we'll integrate it into the worship service and the sermons and the like. And so he got this big spreadsheet out and we're doing all that. <laughs> Did you really think it was going to be that much work, Aiden? <laughs> you know, I don't know what I expected, but I, it was definitely uh, it was definitely worth it. And I will say, it is funny to come back to the seminary, and I my classmates are probably getting tired of me saying, "Well, you know, when I was on my vicarage, we did this thing where we <laughs> read through the whole Bible because it it just has so much uh, positive application." And when I whenever I talk about it, I just kind of get excited about. Um, what a positive um, and exciting thing it was for me to be get to participate, how much it sharpened my own my own knowledge, especially of the Old Testament, and also just the chance to connect with people over this this amazing book, which has so much richness and depth, and you can never run out of things to talk about. And uh, so it was a lot of work, but it sort of, uh, it overtook my, my life and work in a really positive way. Um, because I was living in the scriptures and that was really a good thing for me. Well, one of the interesting things is of course, uh, Jason came in and had to pick up the ball and we had to finish. Of course, he was the fortunate one that got the new Testament portion, a big part of what <laughs> he had to do. Uh, but what was really interesting is that, uh, it did impact, uh, our, worship life. It impacted Bible study, uh, grew during the time that you were doing it. It's continued to grow as Jason's continued, uh, you know, as we've had the Sunday morning trek through the scriptures. And uh, Jason's project is Living the Faith, and it's going to be another 52-week project. Hopefully, the next vicar will be able to uh, pick up the ball, so to speak, as well as Jason did with Trek Through the Scriptures, and Aiden had done it. But we really hope that uh, these podcasts have been positive for you. Uh, it's been uh, an interesting uh, journey for the three of us uh, as we've done them and some of the guests we've had along the way. Um, as we dive in uh, 2023 with uh, Living the Faith, uh, we'll be starting that podcast as well. And we assured Aiden, yep, we're going to be contacting you. You're, <laughs> gonna you're not going to have any choice. You're going to have to be a part of that as well. Uh, and so look looking for more information. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're looking forward to it. We're going uh, to be having some more information uh, out there uh, as we get ready for that. It's going to be an exciting time. It is going to impact worship. It's going to impact uh, Bible study, uh, the study of that. And again, it's uh, kind of what Aiden was uh, bringing up, putting into action, putting into our life what we've re now read this past year in our trek through the scriptures. How do we live the faith? How do we put it into action? So, Aiden, uh, uh, Jason, you have any final comments? I mean, uh, quick little comments on what we're looking at here for next year? I was just going to say that we could just read the Bible front to back again and could probably submit something to the seminary, but they'd probably ask me questions like, 
why would you do that when you just did that last year? So that was never going to work. Um, but I'm very excited <laughs> for this. I'm excited for this new study. Um, there's going to be less of an emphasis on like reading you know, every single day, you know, seven days a week for an entire year. And we're going to have more bite-sized reading spread out over five days, Monday through Friday. But we're weaving in some devotional, very brief devotional activities and exercises to get us more engaged with the texts and the topic at hand. So instead of going week by week by um, sort of chapters, this through whatever, uh, we'll be going topic by topic. And so we're going to, right off the bat, we're going to be talking about the significance of the church year, spend a little bit of time on prayer, talk about uh, the Bible as a whole, which I know is deeply ironic because we just spent a whole year <laughs> on the whole Bible. Uh, but there's some other, just a couple other things that I want to want to cover there. Um, and then throughout the year, like we'll be uh, we'll be covering the Ten Commandments during Lent, which I think is a very fitting time to do so, um, which should make Easter uh, hit extra hard for us this year. And um, there's other surprises along the way. And so I'm very excited for it. Um, I hope you'll continue to listen to these podcasts because they've been uh, just a blast to record and have really impacted my own personal study life um, in whipping up these these outlines and sticking my nose in the scriptures, because uh, it's good for us all. Um, and so, yeah, just uh, stay tuned, and I look forward to what the next year will bring. And um, I hope it will it will be a fitting sequel to Trek to the Scriptures and uh, be focused more on the application of our faith and just talking more in depth about things that we may have never thought of before, like the Apostles' Creed. Why do we say it all the time? And other things. And so stay tuned. I'm looking forward to it. Aiden, any last words you'd like to say? Well, I I would like to just thank all of our listeners and everyone who's participated because it was it was a lot of fun for me too, um, especially because uh the ability to kind of build fellowship and connection over asking and answering questions and discussing some of these things was really great. And it was a really good experience for me um, as I prepare. And so I consider myself um, well prepared. I think Vicarage uh, among the folks at Zion was a really good experience for me. And this was a big part of that. Um, it was a good experience to a degree where as I get ready for, for my next next uh, direction and whatever, whatever, wherever that is and whatever that is, uh, I feel well prepared, and a lot of that is due to a lot of the the study and fellowship and just life among God's people um, that we got to have in in the last year. So, I, so I appreciate that, and I'm very thankful for that. And uh, I would I would encourage, as usual, um, everyone to to live in that that hope that we're grounded in in this story and uh, i know that that's brought a lot of joy to me as i reflect on it and uh, maybe go back and read chapter 21 of revelation again um, a couple more times and be reminded of that ultimate hope that we have one of the things design has been very fortunate of with uh, the last uh, uh Five years in a row, we've been blessed with uh, vicars, uh, which are year-long interns for the ministry. Uh, we've been blessed, uh, very talented uh, men have been able to do that. And uh, the congregation realizes the blessing that uh, both of you have been, and Jason continues to be. Uh, but one of the best things I can uh, tell uh, you, Aiden, when I talk to anybody about, is Aiden ready? My comment is, he's the real deal. So there you have it. So, I appreciate that. 
So he's the real deal. Jason, don't worry. I say the same thing. So there you have it. I wasn't, so. I wasn't fishing for a compliment, but thank you. I knew you were. <laughs> All right. With that in mind, uh, we ask the Lord's blessings to be upon you as you finish out Revelation. And please stay tuned and watch for Living the Faith. And we hope to uh, be visiting with you soon on our next set of podcasts beginning in January. Lord's blessings with you and with Aiden as he's finishing his studies and as Jason continues here in his ministry at Zion. Lord's blessings be with you this day. Thanks for joining us on our Trek Through the Scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time as we continue our exploration of God's story in the scriptures. God bless your reading this week.